conflict resolution. I just put up here on the um, on the on the screen just a uh, summary again of what we've covered over the last uh, number of weeks. We just laid a lot of groundwork, a lot of basic principles, talking about spiritual attitudes. And then we began to get into actually the process of, of reconciliation, uh, what to do when, uh, when you have sinned. And so uh, we've looked at a number of passages, Matthew 5, Matthew 7, Matthew or Proverbs 28. Uh, and a, a summary here at the bottom, uh, go deal with your sin, confess, repent, seek forgiveness, be reconciled. All of those, those, either, those phrases either summarize or some of them are actually quotations from passages in the Old and the New Testament regarding relationships. And then we talked about this other side on the right, which is learning to love one another through correction and forgiveness, that ministry of reproving or correcting a brother or sister. Uh, when uh, they are in sin, generally, so if we simply are made aware of the fact that they are, uh, as Galatians says, uh, they're, they're caught or they're entangled in a sin, what to do, what is our responsibility. And then in some cases that sin it directly affects us or it's, it's something that's, you know, it's between us and this individual. They say something, do something that is uh, ungodly or hateful, and, and we are, we're stumbling um, uh, in that. That's, that's an, it's an, a stumbling block in our path. It's an offense to us, and uh, we try to overlook all that we can, and, uh, but sometimes it's, uh, it's uh, wise for us to, to go and to deal with those things, as Matthew 18 says, to do that, to do that on a a personal level, a private level. Uh, and then we talked about forgiveness and those different aspects, one being initially an attitude of forgiveness and then really a sort of, a, as you say, a transaction of forgiveness that takes place. Uh, usually sometime later in, in, um, uh, in relationship. So that really comes at the point in which a person recognizes their sin. We've already, in an attitudinal way, forgiven them in our hearts before the Lord, but then as they come and acknowledge their sin, and repent uh, and seek our forgiveness. We 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 want to be gracious and extend forgiveness to them. And then we talked about you know the need to reaffirm our love and to comfort one another once that has has taken place. Uh, the ministry of restoring someone to usefulness in Galatians six. Uh, we looked at briefly First Thessalonians five and Second Thessalonians three. Uh, at this, uh, there, there's sometimes a, a period in that confrontation where a person doesn't listen, they don't hear the truth, and so uh, it's appropriate at times to, to, as the Scripture says, sort of disassociate from those believers. And so it's not, it doesn't say stop loving them, it doesn't say be hateful. <laughs> it just says that you, there's, there's a time and a place for us to, to sort of uh, be on guard, to be warned about that, and to, to, to step away um, and, and that involves, uh, can involve and can merge with the Matthew 18 principles of, of uh, biblical reconciliation there, church, church discipline. We didn't really get into the, the church discipline process itself. I just mentioned last time that, um, you know, we've done some teaching on that. that we were really, really just trying to stay down at this level of, of interpersonal relationships uh, not really addressing it at that point uh, when it becomes matters that are that are public. In fact, I think Shane will be. He might even get this morning to Romans 16, the, the section that talks about um, being on guard against certain individuals and uh, what what those qualifiers are. So we may actually hear that in our sermon uh, this morning. 
Uh, Hebrews 12 was the last, really the pa- last passage we looked at in detail. And um, that, I really just wanted to go there to simply say that we have a responsibility in, in, in the body of Christ to, uh, to oversee one another. It's, the writer of Hebrews uses this term that we often associate with the responsibility and the role of, of a pastor or elder, where it says, that, I mean, by, by definition, a pastor is an overseer. He is one who oversees the affairs of the church. Um, he is a, is a shepherd, and so he has those responsibilities, and yet the writer of Hebrews picks up that term and says that in, in our relationships as brothers and sisters in Christ, we also have a responsibility to oversee one another. So it's not just for pastors and church leaders to do that. It's really for us to be concerned about and to care for other brothers and sisters in Christ. And so uh, we don't need to put all that on church leadership. We need to realize that we're involved in that in some way. And, of course, the motivation there is so that people won't be hardened by sin and that they won't ultimately, that, that passage in Hebrews 12 and then really in other places, really the, whole, the, the, the entirety of the book of Hebrews deals with the issue of turning away from Christ, the issue of apostasy. And so this passage in Hebrews 12 even refers back to Deuteronomy and talks about that in the community of faith there are people that, that, that have regret about their sin, but they, but they don't have re- true repentance. And so even though they may have at times tears, they're not really willing to give up their sin, and ultimately they turn away from the truth. Our job is to try to, to minimize that. I mean, it's, it's to not... It's to do everything we possibly can as believers in Christ to not allow that to happen in the church. So uh, we don't want to just sit by and do nothing. Uh, we got to get involved with people's lives, spend time with them, be concerned about them, love them, and practice these principles so that that doesn't, that doesn't happen. Uh, so we summarized it. This was uh, Ken Sandy summarizes the process this way. Glorify God, get the log out, go and be reconciled and gently restore. That's just sort of uh, maybe a, a more compact way to, uh, to say it. And he teaches those principles in a book he has written called The Peacemaker, which has got about 25, seems like, different offshoots and other books and articles and publications Peacemaking for families, peacemaking for churches and pastors and women, and it's got all these different applications, uh, but those are the basic principles that he, he covers. Uh, let me just leave us with, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, personal convictions this morning, uh, preference issues, those types of things, but just to summarize, maybe to give you some ch- a challenge or just sort of some final exhortations um, before we kind of leave this topic of conflict resolution. Let me just give you seven of these to just think about and to kind of pull together, tie together the things that we've talked about this, uh, the, over these last few months here in the summer. Uh, the first one is, and it kind of, again, it's similar to what Ken talks about, uh, Ken Sandy brings up as, the, as a primary and really foundational principle, and that's this issue of God's glory. We just have to constantly be focused on that. Uh, our, our chief end is not to convince others to agree with us or to win an argument uh, or to keep from upsetting people. Uh, Our chief end is to glorify God even in the midst of relational struggles. In other words, when you you have struggles in relationships, you just have to tell yourself, this is an opportunity. (laughs) It's an opportunity to glorify God. Uh, This is not an opportunity to retaliate or to get my way. Um, We've got to be thinking biblically about this and realize, again, 
that uh, God is using these things to, to purify us. So we've got to think the right things, do the right things uh, in order to bring glory to the Lord, which kind of ties into this second, I say, exhortation, embrace God's sovereignty, because our relationships are from God, they are for God. Uh, when, when irritations come, when disappointments come, uh, we need to remember that God is in control of the situation. The situation is not out of control. And God loves us enough to expose and slowly, progressively eradicate our, our sin and our selfishness and our unbelief through relational struggles uh, in order to make us more like, like Christ. So that's just this issue of sanctification. God isn't just sovereign over our salvation. God is sovereign over our sanctification. And so every interaction, every person in your life, every relationship, you just have to see those things as coming to you from the hand of God. And He's in control of those things. Uh, So look for, for God in those things. It's a question we often ask people that come for counseling. You know, I, I, I'm, you know, I shouldn't say I'm surprised at this, but people will come in and, and we'll spend an hour, hour and a half just kind of talking to them, talking with them about the situation, what's going on, who are the people involved, what are the details. And again, some of these folks are coming from the community, so I don't know anything really about them necessarily. I could be meeting with them for the first time. You go through all that, and of course, they're, most of them are coming saying they're professing Christians, and it's amazing. They'll go through an hour, hour and a half and never mention God. <laughs> they'll talk about the people. They'll talk about the times, the places, the, the hurts, the offenses, the difficulties. And then sometimes it, we have to just step back and say, so where is God in this? And they kind of go, hmm, like I, I, I haven't thought about that. And sometimes you actually, actually have to tell them, do you know that you've been talking for an hour and a half about your Christian life and haven't mentioned God? And so that's, that's just where we get sometimes. I mean, we get so engrossed in those details of these relationships that sometimes we forget that God is with us in these things. He knows us, He loves us, and He is, again, using these things for, for our good and His glory. Uh, another one is respond with humility, which is the key virtue, I think, for relationship skill. Uh, without it, we're, we're, we're very unlikely to receive criticism um, we're not going to ever regard our own faults. We're not going to ask for forgiveness or grant forgiveness. We're not going to admit our need for the body of Christ or come alongside of others who need our help if we don't have this in our lives. Uh, but with humility, uh, we will see ourselves as we ought to. We'll see ourselves as fellow sinners saved by grace uh, and we'll take the time to deal with our own logs first before we ever rush in and try to, to help others. So humility is key, and we talked about that in the Ephesians 4 uh, passage. Uh, exercise, I would say exercise maturity, which means you'll be calm and not volatile. Uh, you'll be forgiving and not bitter. You'll keep in mind how much Christ endured for you rather than harboring and nursing hurt feelings. You'll squash every thought and opinion not aligned with, with uh, Scripture. And so just think, thinking, you've got to think wisely, deeply, maturely about these things. I mean, uh, again, we've just tri- I've tried over the last few weeks to just simplify this process, but I- I've, I've said more than once, there are other passages that speak to conflict. And these things are not neat. You know, the- these-, these problems don't have clean edges. <laughs> they, are- they are sometimes very ragged. They're very, they're very jagged. Um, 
lots of lots of corners, and and so you've got to apply biblical wisdom in these areas. You can't in most of these struggles and relationships, you can't just take one verse. <laughs> I mean, if you do that, I mean, I hear that all the time. People will say, yeah, but Joel, doesn't the Bible say, and then they quote a verse, I'm like, yeah, the Bible says that. And I'm like, but the Bible also says, and then I have to give them four or five or six other passages that kind of really fill in that picture, because they just want to do the one thing, you know. Well, doesn't the Bible say that we need to go and to do this when our brother sins? And like, yeah, but the Bible also says there's some things that you should already be doing, and that you definitely need to do that precede you going and confronting that person. Um, Somebody could take that passage out of Proverbs that talks about overlooking a transgression, and they could use that, again, as an excuse to never go and deal with sin. Right? I mean, they could just say, oh, I'm just overlooking it. I'm just overlooking it. I'm, it's, it's, it's my glory to do that. And say, yeah, but that's, that's, not, that's not the only thing that Scripture has to say about this. On the flip side of that, you could say, well, Joel, I'm, I'm supposed to go and point out sin, right? Deal with sin. And they could do this every day. I mean, they could, like I said, they, they probably have a miserable, miserable marriage. They probably have miserable relationships in every context of their life if they think that's their job to be some sort of a, a, a sanctification enforcement, uh, you know, they're like code enforcement in Woodstock. You know, like you put one of those little signs out on the road, you know what I'm talking about? I mean, there's these guys that go around in Woodstock with these trucks, and after the weekend ends and there's one of these little signs on the corner, they go around on Monday morning, and they're jerking those little signs up, and so they're very strict about that. And I mean, sometimes, folks, we're in relationships, and we're just looking for it. You know, it's like... Who has violated my code, right? I've got a code. I have some expectations here. And if you're going to violate that, my job is to pull up, park, and jerk that sign out. And we get consumed with that. And what do we need? We need to go to Proverbs about overlooking a transgression, right? And so we just got to keep these things in in balance. And that's what I mean by maturity is sometimes we, we really do act like fifth graders. I mean, adults can act like children uh, at times, and, and that's not what we want. Uh, another one would be extend mercy. Uh, extend mercy. Uh, extend, extend to others what you've been given by God. Right? Psalm 103, verse 8 says, The Lord is compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in loving kindness. Verse 10 says that He has not dealt with us according to our sins. And so one of those passages that, that to, this is, you know, uh, we've talked about a lot of passages. One of those that to me just really sort of jumps off the page of, of all the things we've looked at. One of those that is just very, I just find myself going back to more often than others is Luke chapter 6. We looked at this, but in verse 35, just to remind you, it says, Love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for He Himself is kind to ungrateful and evil men. So that's Luke 6, 35. tells us God is kind to ungrateful and evil men. And then tells us, this here comes the, 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 uh, the exhortation, the command, verse 36, Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. You just got to keep going back to that. Time and time and time and time again, remembering that God has been merciful to you, that He punished Christ for you. And so how, how can you, knowing that God punished Christ for you so that you could be saved, how can you sit back and say, it's my job to punish others? 
That's my job. I'm going to punish them. Scripture says we need to be, we need to be merciful. Be merciful. Uh, in fact, some of you have asked about my, uh, my mercy jacket. Some of you know what this is. This is actually, I, I call this the mercy jacket. This was actually a, a, a coat. I was a little overprepared, I guess, for this mission trip that I went on back, when was that, in the 90s? To Hungary, one of the early, early mission trips that we made in our church. We went and did a mission trip in the wintertime to Hungary. And so I, I hate the cold, okay? And I heard it was going to be cold, and so I went out and got me a jacket, right? And they call, I've been referred to as the Michelin Man, right? Okay? I was, in fact, there were times, that, and it was, it was in the teens, snow on the ground. I mean, we're, we're, we're going through the snow to get to the church service. Um, I, I, there were times when I would undo this, Jack, and I would, I would be soaked because this has got down feathers in it. And so I would unzip it, and I would be drenched on the inside from sweat, even though it was 10 degrees outside or 15 degrees outside. I use this as an illustration to say that if we think about this, if this was if this was mercy, right, and we all showed up to church today with one of these on, we would not be so easily irritated, right? I mean, somebody would come up and they would say something that's a little sharp, but if we had this thing on, I mean, who's who's going to hurt us with this thing on, right? I and mean, we just we're just we all had one of these. We just be kind of bouncing off each other like ping pong balls, right? <laughs> But we wouldn't be offended. We wouldn't let things get under our skin. We wouldn't be holding on to that bitterness if we could, if we could put mercy on in this way. I mean, a big, thick pad of mercy. A lot of times I'll tell married couples, you, just, you guys have just gotten to the place where there's no mercy cushion. There's just no mercy. There, there's, not a, there's not anything to sort of uh, take, take the, uh, the force off. It's like when you say something, it just, it's like... Uh, like a piece of parchment paper between you and that person, or tissue paper. I mean, they do something, and it penetrates that so fast, and you get so easily aggravated and so easily retaliate and return evil for evil. But Scripture says we need to be merciful, that we got to load, load our lives up with mercy because things are going to happen that, that, that bother us. Things are going to happen that, that hurt us, that offend us, and uh, of all people, we, we, need, we need to have that on every day, every day. All right, strive for unity. Of course, we've talked about just, I mean, we have to pursue it, folks. I mean, I can't say it's, it's pursue, 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 strive after, um, persecute. I mean, chase after this thing, chase it down, hunt it down. Again, people in the church uh, ruffle our fragile feathers, uh, over and over again, and our instinct is to either fight back or to, to, to run away and to retreat. Uh, but that is not the biblical way. What is the biblical way? Well, the biblical way is that when we fail, we confess, we repent, and we seek reconciliation. And when others fail, we see that as an opportunity for us to show grace, which resembles the grace that we have received from God. Not, not to fight or to flee, but to stay and to forbear and to forgive, and to love, and to repent, and to repeat. <laughs> you do it all the time. You confess, you repent, you forgive, you love, you forbear, you, you do all those things, and then you just, you just hit repeat, right? Like your, like, like your favorite song on your, on your phone, 
right on your on your playlist. You just you lo- you love it so much. You just just do one of those just where it just keeps going and keeps going and keeps going and keeps going. We just have to keep repeating these things every day, every day, every day. And 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 shame on us, right? If 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 we're going to claim the name of Christ and yet get so easily offended by one another that we run away from one another and abandon that process, we just can't do that, folks. We cannot cannot run run from these things. And then I would say the last one, just to emphasize, add more humility, right? You can't, you just can't, can't, cannot have enough of this. You have to remember that if we got what we deserved, we would all be in hell, right? We wouldn't be sitting in this class. We wouldn't be sitting under God's word. We wouldn't be enjoying God's good gifts. Um, We would not know the comfort of God's presence. Uh, And so grace, mercy, just just ought to drive us to be be more and more humble. In fact, the apostle Peter said it this way. He says, this is what we have to do every day. Clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. Clothe yourselves. And it's this idea. I mean, it really is. That's why I like the jacket imagery because it just says you have to put this on. Because, and I'll use this with teaching kids sometimes, say you have to put humility on because every morning that you wake up, you wake up with your pride pajamas on. Right? You don't normally wake up with humility. You typically wake up thinking about yourself. It's just natural for us to do that. That moment of a sort of consciousness, right? Your eyes are slowly opening. You're thinking, I mean, uh, coffee, whatever you're thinking, right? You're, th- you're not thinking about other people. You're thinking about what you need, right, in that moment, what you want in that moment. You're thinking about what you're going to wear. You're thinking about what you're going to do that day and what time you have to be to so-and-so. And It's like you instantly start thinking about you and your life and your expectations. And so it's as if Peter's saying, that is natural for you to think about yourself. You're going to have to actually put on humility because you're not going to wake up with humility on. You're going to have to put off pride. You're going to have to put off this self-centeredness and clothe yourself with humility on a day, daily basis. So peacemakers, folks, that's what we're called to be uh, as children of God, citizens of God's kingdom, not peace breakers, not peace fakers, but peacemakers, peacemakers. Now, um, any, any comments on that? Any, we're going to talk, like I said, about some uh, convictions and things like that over the next, uh, this today and maybe our next time together. Any, any thoughts or questions? I've answered some of those, as I mentioned, just individually with folks as they've brought up those over the weeks. Um, but just kind of pulling this all together, is there anything, anything on your mind that would be helpful for the class, you think, to, to talk about? Uh, last week you had a question about just electronic communication. You know, when is that appropriate? It's, it's, it's a gray area. I mean, you've you got to have wisdom in those things. Don't use electronic means or, you know, texting and those things. Don't, don't, don't let that, that be your default is what I would say. Just be careful about that. That could just be, it's just a, another way we think about this. It's just a safer, right? We just feel safer doing it that way because we don't have to deal with that face-to-face response that might come. And so it's, it's easy to kind of put it out there and then wait and see, see what we get back. It's much more difficult to go in and sit down with someone and have a face-to-face conversation and not know if they're going to receive it. I mean, are they going to hear what you're saying? Are they going to forgive you? 
right? Are they going to repent? I mean, it's hard to know. Yeah? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because we were talking more about someone confessing last week. We were dealing more with a person that was going to confess something. So, yeah, good, good, good thought. If, you're, if, if we we're talking about that other side, that ministry of, of confrontation and reproving and, re, and rebuking, uh, if at all, I mean, if it's possible, right, so Romans 12, if it be, if it be possible, <laughs> right, face-to-face, face-to-face, uh, not, uh, not electronically. Any other thoughts, questions? About that, or any—I mean, any of the things we've discussed. You guys got this down, right? You good to go? We're good to go. You're like Joel. Listen, ten weeks of—I mean, we hadn't figured it out yet. We're not going to figure this thing out. So, um, all right. Well, I encourage. I said this. I think it was maybe the first week we were back early in the summer. I just said that when I'm when I say conflict. Or when I say reconciliation or peace, when I even use any of those terms, most people immediately think of a person. They're not thinking about everybody. They're not thinking about most of the things you know that the things that I'm thinking about. They are. They're typically immediately. They're thinking of probably some kind of interpersonal relationship they have with a specific person that they have offended or that has offended them. Maybe not just once, but maybe over and over and over again, but something that's not right. And so I, I told the young marrieds at the conference yesterday, I just said, you know, you go to these conferences and you get so much truth, you get so, so many principles that you can get overloaded. I mean, just like, how am I going to do this, these 15 things in my marriage? And so I just challenge people, don't do, don't do that. I mean, if you, if you try to change those 15 things all at once, you're probably not going to, succeed at probably any, maybe any of them. Just pick one, right? Just <laughs> narrow it down. I just said, I said, think about this. What is the one thing you can do over the next three months that will improve your marriage? And just write that down, just nail that thing down, and then get busy doing that particular thing. So I'm saying when you go through a series like this, you probably have been thinking about a particular relationship, and I would just say, don't, I mean, yes, we want the application to go br- broad here in our lives, but don't don't get, don't get lost in all that. I mean, think about what you need to do next, right? What is the next step you need to take in your Christian life to improve that relationship, right? Um, and take that step. Just take that step, right? And then the, then the next one, and then the next one. Um, but, but be careful about just you're, try, you're trying to anticipate everything and fast forward and Think about how that's going to turn out down the road, and if you, you think too much about that, you'll just it'll it'll you'll be paralyzed, right? You'll just and you won't do anything. So take that next step, whatever it is. All right. Well, I, I did mention again. We want to talk about uh, start looking at this issue of what the Bible has to say about subjects of personal convictions, gray areas, legalism, Christian liberty. The reason I tie this into conflict resolution is because I think this can be a source of conflict at times, particularly in, in the church. Now, here at our church, we, we, strive to, we strive to find a balance between the biblical convictions that are essential to the Christian life, the biblical, I would, and I want to define some of these terms for you, but the biblical beliefs that we hold as a church, 
but other godly people may view differently, right? So there are certain things our church teaches and believes that not every church that's meeting in Cherokee County is believes those things, but that's, that's, not, that's not necessarily a bad thing. And then we have this issue of personal convictions that are things we hold sort of, we hold to these things uh, individually for a, a, a fruitful walk with Christ. They're, 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 they're important things or things that Shane's, Shane's been addressing, uh, again, it's to some extent in, uh, in our Romans series here in chapters 14 and 15. Um, but this desire for balance requires that we recognize the differences between biblical convictions and personal boundaries and essential things and non-essential things. Um, you know, when we understand as a church family the importance of a particular belief or thought or preference, we're much more likely to agree on the essentials of the Christian life and better prepared to disagree on the less important ones. Or as some have said, to have unity in the essentials and flexibility in the non-essentials. In other words, when we recognize the differences between different kinds of convictions and the differences between convictions and preferences, we'll be able to celebrate our life in Christ and cooperate as the body of Christ in a way that leads to unity and guards the unity that we have in the Spirit. So let me just clarify some terms. Okay, I'm going to talk about just basically four four categories here and and again these are these are just my terms i mean they're not i'm just i use these terms and i'll define them for you I'll, I'll i'll try to illustrate them for you just so that you have a framework you can put different labels on these things that's fine uh this is not authoritative in that sense i mean i'm just trying to organize these principles so it, it's it's helpful for us and we can we can talk about it so let me just work through these, uh, starting with biblical convictions. Biblical convictions. Biblical convictions are uh, the doctrines held to be right or held to be true by the church throughout the centuries. Without these biblical truths, Christianity and the ability to glorify God doesn't exist. Okay? So... Naturally, churches must form and rally around these kinds of things. Convictions are, uh, these kind of convictions are ones that are based upon Scripture, so they are objective, and they are those things that we might say are black and white for all Christians. Now, these things regard, and I kind of break this into a couple of areas, one theology and the other morality. So we have this things, uh, when I say theology, area of theology, we're talking about doctrines such as uh, Scripture. So I would say the authority of Scripture. I mean, that, that is, a, that is a, a major area, right? And, of course, there's a lot of things we could talk about under that category of Scripture. We've got these little, you know, we're talking about inspiration, inerrancy, but I say, if I, had, if I had to pick, I would say this, we're, I'm really talking about this authority of Scripture. In other words, when it comes down to making a decision, when it comes down to what is right and what is wrong and what do we do, we must allow Scripture to have the final say. And that is, I'm just saying, folks, if we don't, 
if we don't believe that, then you can essentially, you can turn Christianity into whatever you want. I mean, you can take bits and pieces of the Bible and say they're, they're authoritative, but if others aren't, then I guess we can decide which ones are and which ones aren't, right? And so we just take the ones that we want, and then we add and mix in things that we believe about salvation, and we end up with something that's not Christianity. So we have to have that fundamental conviction that Scripture is authoritative. We're also talking about God, the fact that God exists, the fact that God is the creator and the judge. Uh, this would involve the, the, the uh, doctrine of the Trinity, the doctrine of man, the fact that man is not just inherently a great person. You know, we are sinful. I mean, you just, it's, it, these are these inescapable teachings of Scripture. You just cannot walk through Scripture and come away with the idea that we're great people. <laughs> it's just, it's just too, too much there that tells us different. We're sinful. We deserve eternal punishment. We deserve hell. The, the doctrine of Christ, the deity of Christ, the humanity of Christ, the atoning work of Christ, the bodily resurrection of Christ, the future return of Christ, salvation, the fact that salvation is by, work, by, by grace and not by works, that we are saved through repentance and faith. I mean, I'm just saying that to me is at least in a nutshell. Those are some of the things we're, we're talking about. Uh, when we look at morality, we're talking about truths such as murder, adultery, lying, thievery, uh, even submission. You may not think about this as something that we should that, that should be elevated to this point, but even submission to governing authorities is a, is a, it's a, it's a non-negotiable. In fact, it's it's interesting in Romans thirteen, Shane, when he was. In this section, Romans 13, verse 5, Paul says, Therefore, it is necessary to be in subjection, not only because of wrath, but also for conscience sake. She's just saying, there is something that is like, like hardwired right into our lives. This, this idea that there are, there are those who are in authority, there are things that are authoritative, and that there is a need to be submissive and to be subject to those things, in this case, that institution of, of governing authorities, this is not something we can just say, take it or leave it. I mean, these are, these are central things. We, we, we just shouldn't be debating adultery, you know, it's like, or uh, murder. Like, is it or isn't it? I mean, these are things that, again, are just, just they're, they're all throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament. So these are, these are what we might call biblical convictions, Okay, essential, biblically objective, black and white for all. Then we have biblical beliefs, which are things that can be demonstrated in Scripture, but are uh, non-essential, providing room for differing theological positions. That is to say, true believers in Christ may disagree on these theological beliefs or systems of belief. Now, some churches form around these things, right? Uh, And that's not necessarily a bad thing. So I'm saying every true church in this county agrees that we're saved by grace and not by works. Right? Every true church in this community believes that Jesus Christ is the only way to the Father. Right? But then there's these other things, right? these other beliefs that we have that are, they're, I would say they're important, Right? They're still important, but they're not essential in the sense that 
we can have differing opinions about these things and still all be believers. You see, you, hopefully you, you see the difference in those things. So we're talking about things such as the baptism, right? Uh, the mode of baptism, we're talking about the, the end times. Uh, you know, we have our, our premillennial eschatology, but there's other people in this area at churches this morning that will hear something different than that, but we wouldn't jump to the conclusion they're not saved, right? Uh, they're important things. And so, I mean, sometimes... We, you know, there's this criticism that comes that, you know, we're not loving each other enough and that we, we, you know, we shouldn't be debating these things and we shouldn't be having conversations about these differences. And I, and I would say that we, did, we need to be careful, right? I mean, we need to throw out the bathwater around the baby, right? But we need to keep the baby. We need to be teaching our, the people of our church the importance of these kinds of beliefs and doctrines. They need to be grounded in these things but they also have to know the difference between these things and those biblical convictions that every Christian must believe and adhere to. Okay, uh, church government would be another. Um, you know, what does that look like in, in a local church? Spiritual gifts would be maybe in that category. Um, even I would even put her- hermeneutics. Uh, in that, I mean, we, hit, we have a we call it a grammatical, historical, hermeneutic, or a, a, this is just sort of our, our method or principles of interpreting the Bible. Um, but then there are other true believers that, ha- I mean, there's, for instance, uh, we've ta- talked about this a little bit and it kind of in different sermons and things. You'll hear sometimes us throw out there this, uh, what we might refer to as a Christological hermeneutic, um, which is just when, when a person comes to the Scripture and, and they're, they're seeing where truths revealed about Christ in the New Testament, that those things are seen as the key to discovering the real meaning of the Old Testament scriptures. And so they're kind of looking for those encoded references to Christ on the pages of the Old Testament. So we don't teach that. I don't, I don't believe that is... is um, uh, a faithful way of interpreting Scripture, and yet I know of godly men and women that they, they, they either explicitly interpret Scripture that way or have a sort of a bent in that direction, but I'm not, again, I'm not assuming they're not saved or they're not true believers because of that. We can talk about those things. I mean, I can sit down with a brother in Christ and say, so tell me, how do you do that? You know, and, and, you, and, the, and they're not just pulling it out of thin air. I mean, most of the time they have biblical passages and they have explanations of why they believe. Some of them are, are more grounded in, in, in what the Bible teaches than others. But again, we've got to be able to distinguish these things. Now, when you talk about something like, something like hermeneutics, I mean, you can obviously get way out in left field on that. I mean, you can get out there and say, well, I have a hermeneutic that just says that this whole thing is just a, it's just a, a book of myths. Like, that's all it is. It's just fable and myths. Well, that, I mean, there would be a point at which we would say, well, now we're talking about authority. You see what I'm saying? In words, it's some, at some point, it's like your hermeneutic. Now, now we're into something different. We're into something that actually undermines the very authority of Scripture, uh, and so we would have to think about that a little bit, a little bit differently. But we've got to make this distinction between these things. A third one is personal convictions. Personal convictions. Personal convictions are based on scriptural truth, and and they're things that are applied 
to an individual believer's life. That is to say, personal convictions provide boundaries for an individual to live a godly life. We might even call them not personal preferences, but spiritual preferences. They address the matter of how God wants me as a Christian to live in the gray areas of life that are not specifically spelled out in Scripture. Now again, some churches form and rally around these issues, which is problematic. Okay, so we must gather and rally around biblical convictions. We sometimes rally around biblical beliefs, right? So that's, that's why we have Presbyterian church and we have a Baptist church and those kinds of things. That's not necessarily a bad thing. But if people are gathering around personal convictions, that's a problem. And I would even say this, within churches... If we are gathering around and rallying around those things, that's a problem, right? That's how you have, I think, at times in, in, in a particular local church, you have these little subgroups, right? These little divisions and factions and schisms that go on in, in church life because people are they're gravitating to the others in, their, in the church that hold to the same spiritual preferences or personal convictions that they do. Now, I would define a personal conviction as my perception of something I should do or not do for which there is no direct biblical command or prohibition. So it's my personal sense of what is right or wrong for me based upon inferences I have made from the Bible. So when the Bible forbids adultery, it's not a matter of personal conviction. It is a, that is a command, okay? So therefore, it's just, it's just simply a matter of, of and it for all of us, right? It's just a matter of obedience or disobedience. And a personal conviction is not what I would refer to as our, sort of our fourth category as a personal preference either because we all, we all have preferences and activities and food and those kind of things. Uh, I use this example. I, I, love, I love Chinese. I love Mexican uh, I prefer a steak burrito over cashew chicken, but I'm not sinning if I eat at cashew chicken. Okay, so it's not, we're getting down, with, we talk about personal preferences. We're down in this really kind of this low level, just like, yeah, either do this or that. It's not, there's not, we're not even assigning any kind of a moral, um, you know, thing to that. So a personal conviction is a personal value, and if I violate one of my own values, it is a sin for me. So if I think that drinking coffee is a sin, we know the Bible doesn't directly teach that it's a sin, but if I think that it is, so long as I think that it is, I will sin by drinking it. So it's like, I, it's something, I, I'm not, I have to recognize it's not, I'm not saying it's a sin for you, but if I'm convinced that it's something that is sinful for me for whatever reason, again, we, we typically tie these things to something in the Bible, right? They're not just free-floating things out there. We typically have some kind of biblical justification in our own mind for this. But as long as we think it's sinful, then we sin if we do it. Okay, so what are some examples of that? Well, uh, lots of them. I mean, the list is endless, folks. Okay, we're talking about technology, 
right? How much of it, how little of it, right? We recently talked, had to work through just, uh, we have an eighth grade son, you know, smartphones and, and just w- w- when, when do you do this? You know, how much do you allow? How much do you restrict? Do you give them a smartphone or a dumb phone? All that good, good stuff. Conventional medicine or alternative medicine, you know, essential oils, non-essential oils, vaccinations, vaccinations, no vaccinations. I mean, now some of you hear these things and you're like, I mean, like, you mean there's Christians that really care? And I'm like, oh, yeah. <laughs> Hello. I mean, you know what I'm talking about? You ever get you never get pulled on. You guys ever get pulled into these conversations? Right. OK. Raw milk. Pasture. Wait a minute. See, so you thought it was just going to be either raw milk or pasteurized milk. But what about no milk? We have, I've seen, folks, I'm, I'm, I'm literally telling you about 20 years at Faith Community Church. I'm giving you a history of some things that have, and I'm not condemning, and I've done some of these things, some of these things I used to be into, and now I'm not, which says something, right? Right? That says something, folks, when you say, this is the right thing to do, and then five years later, guess what? You're not even doing it anymore. But when you were doing it, guess what? This was some serious stuff, right? You are either in the kingdom or you are cast into outer darkness. Depending on where you fall, okay? I'm telling you. Bible translations. Right? Okay. You know what I'm talking about. Education choices. Government education, private education, homeschool, Christian schooling. Oh, boy. I mean, I got pages of this stuff. Birth control, gluten-free or gluten-full. <laughs> Listen, I'm just going to be honest with you. I told somebody I was so tired this morning, got up. I couldn't see the light at the end of the tunnel until I got to Dunkin' Donuts and realized that the pumpkin munchkins are back. <laughs> I'm all about gluten-full, all right? Man, bring it on, right? Courting or dating, Right? You have this, well, we don't, we don't do that. We don't do dating or we, we do courting or we don't do courting. And sometimes it's funny because you'll get two parents, you'll talk about them, and they're using different terms. But when they describe what they're doing with their kids, it's the same thing. But just the labels sometimes, right? We separate. We've got candidate A or candidate B, right? We just went through that in the last year. Medications or no medications. Uh, what language? Again, there's, there's language that folks, we just, I grew up with certain, certain words were bad words, right? And then I got into this church and a couple of people use words that based upon the way I grew up were bad words. And so I had to think through that, right? Because I, I, I mean, they were just using, and again, I'm not talking about the obvious, right? I'm talking about these words that are sort of like in that, again, these are sort of these gray and I had to think through, because it was real easy for me to say, I cannot believe they just said that, you know? Especially, and then your kids are coming, you're right, you have kids, and they're, and they're using different terms and things. Music and movies and clothing. Drinking wine or being a teetotaler. Playing sports on Sundays. Going out to eat on Sundays, right? Some people have a problem. They, they have a big problem with that. We shouldn't go out to eat on Sundays, because the day, the Sunday is a day of rest. That's just the way they think. It's a day of rest. We shouldn't be working. And if we go out to a restaurant, then we're causing other people to work. Right? But that, again, that filters back to how we interpret Scripture. Right? I mean, how we view the Sabbath. What, what is Sunday? All those things. I mean, we have our reasons. And again, we're usually tying them to Scripture. 
And if we believe something to be sinful, we shouldn't do it. But if it's in this area of gray, then what we have to be careful about, again, is coming down so dogmatically when it comes to what other people are doing, or allowing something like that to divide. Yes. I'm sorry. I don't... Yeah. <laughs> I get, somebody's commented on how I had this unusual ability to totally ignore everything going on in the room. Like when I'm teaching, I'm sorry. So you could have been over there for 30 minutes and I wouldn't. Other, except for your husband was finally like, Joel, there's a hand down there. I did see the guy in the back with the baby. I, 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 you got a baby with you. I just know this. No, I'm just kidding. Yes. As a sin for you. That, folks, I'm, no, 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 we'll come, yeah, we'll get to this. We'll get to this. This is the crazy thing, folks. This is what is so hard for us to, to get our minds around, is that two believers can have two, in these areas, different convictions, and, but they need to be doing what what is what obedience is to them and disobedience. I mean, those things for them personally. But these two believers could be doing two different things and God could say, and they're both glorifying God in that moment. That person is glorifying God, even though this person is doing something different than what they chose to do, and that person is glorifying God. So we've got to come back and talk about that. We won't, we won't have time to get into that. But that, that's, that's a good question. Because that is the thing, folks. If that weren't the... The question I think she's asking is, is, this, is it sounds like truth is, rel- it sounds like almost like you're saying that truth is relative um, because you're saying this person's doing this thing and this person's doing this thing. So I'm just saying, but if you didn't believe, if we, did, if, if we didn't jump to that conclusion that what we're doing is righteous and what this person was, is doing was wrong and unrighteous, then we wouldn't be judging. But the, we know we're struggling with the judge, piece of being judgmental, Right? And looking down on these things, and so the, 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 we, we are. This is going on in our hearts. So how do we define what these things are without slipping into? Like I said, we're just saying it's just kind of willy nilly. Whatever you believe is the standard. Yes, sir. I think it's important to make the distinction that these are our personal convictions for you, but you can't judge whether or not somebody is saved based on whether or not they violate some of your personal convictions. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's what I'm, and that's why I'm saying we have to separate these things out because I think that we almost lump these categories sometimes. These things slip over into that category that we talked about first. Biblical convictions. I mean, like essentials, gospel essentials. I mean, we don't want to admit that, but the truth is sometimes in our minds we do begin to separate people out based upon these things. So, all right, one more comment. Yeah. Um, you just kind of brought something to my mind because I do have some personal convictions about some behaviors and stuff that we haven't communicated clearly to our kids. Yes. And we may have ex- expectations of them to understand their spiritual convictions, and so we've got to really communicate those. Yes, we do. <laughs> we do. In fact, that's, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll come back to this, but this is, that's an easy, it's, it, that's an easy example for me because... I, I see it a lot. I, I know I've been guilty of it, not giving clear explanation to our kids. And I see parents do this sometimes where parents have these things that they, again, this is, this is the gospel, right? And they're teaching that to their kids. And then the parents also have these, what I called biblical beliefs, right, about things like 
baptism and church government and hermeneutics and those kinds of areas, they don't always distinguish those things for their kids. And then they get into these discussions about personal convictions and sometimes even personal preferences, which is the fourth category. And they make no distinction when they're teaching their kids between these things. And guess what? Their kids start rejecting and pushing back against things. And sometimes they're pushing back against issues of personal conviction, but parents get offended unnecessarily because they look at it like they're pushing back on the gospel. You see what I'm saying? It's like they're lumping all these things together, and we've got to distinguish, folks, as parents between what I call sometimes just house rules. I mean, I don't have a biblical, I don't have a verse to say that if your kid is such and such years old and they're driving, that their curfew ought to be this time. You got to figure that out, and you need to have some guidelines just for the sake of order, right? Just just setting clear expectations. But your kids need to know the difference between house rules and personal convictions and biblical beliefs and biblical convictions. You cannot lump all all of those things together. And kids get those things confused. We get those things confused. So we'll have to figure figure out how to do this, not only in our homes, but also, again, the the issue for me here is that the church not be divided down these lines, right? We need to come, all we're saying, folks, is this, and I will end for today, but just to say, when we come together to worship God this morning, we are coming together because of those, primarily because of those gospel, those gospel essentials, those biblical convictions, one Lord, one Spirit, right? authority of Scripture, who Christ is, salvation. We've been saved, right? We've been saved by God's grace. Those are the things that ought to be overflowing out of our hearts as we come to worship. And yet sometimes we give those things very little attention. We don't think a lot about them. We take those things for granted. We would much rather get into an argument with someone in the hallway about some secondary issue or some tertiary issue and, or even something way out here, just a personal preference. We would rather engage people at that level and then sometimes allow those things to keep us from getting to know others in the body of Christ or hanging out and spending time with people that are different from us in the body of Christ because we've made a bigger deal about those lesser things and we have not magnified and focused on the more important things. So that's what I say. This, I think conflict kind of goes right in here because that's what I see is a lot of individuals in the church, a lot of families in the church, sometimes they're throwing the gauntlet down and they're getting into conflicts and they're about little things. I mean, we were talking about in our small group at the Married Conference, just we're talking about going to the pumpkin patch. They, they were just using this example of like you, you start to do something, you go to the, you take your kids to the pumpkin patch, it's just what you do every fall, and it's like until you realize that, why are we going to the pumpkin patch? And they were just, in, in, and they were just giving this example, the, the Brandons were just saying this, it's like you start to think, do we enjoy doing this? No, we don't. <laughs> we do not enjoy taking, so, and, and so then you just start, well, why are we doing it? And what you realize is that you did it for certain reasons, maybe back here, and maybe it was because people, other people were doing it, and... And maybe you even had some sort of biblical reason for doing it, but then you just have to keep evaluating that because that's not, a, that's not an essential thing, right? And that may even just simply be an application of a timeless principle of Scripture, but those applications can change over time. Not the principle, but the applications. 
And we so easily get pulled into this. And, they're not, and it's not just, it's all of us, folks. We all do this. We all do this. And it's so easy for us to go, oh, you didn't take your kids to the pumpkin patch? You know? <laughs> or we have, we have all the, the married couples that do the pumpkin patch, and then we have all the married couples that don't do the pumpkin patch, but they go to the blueberry farm. <laughs> and then we have those that do this other thing, right? And so I'm just saying, it's, it's, it's crazy, folks. It, it, but it is, it's, it's, it is just the insanity of our Christian lives, right? We do these things. It strokes our flesh, makes us feel good, makes us feel godly. And then I can say, once we feel like we're doing the right stuff, then everybody else that's not doing what we're doing, they're somehow, they're in our wake, they're trailing behind, they're lagging spiritually, they need to grow up and mature and all this stuff like that. That's what divides churches. And we've got to guard against it. So we'll come back, we'll, talk, we've got, we'll finish kind of wrapping this up, we'll try to come back and, and talk about this issue of not, not being careful to not present this like this is just a free-for-all, right? Everything's a gray area. No, nope, there are some black and whites, but how do we distinguish between black and white things and those things that aren't so black and white? Okay, guys, thanks for your time.